Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Learn the music that matters to you the most with the Musician app. They have so many ways that you can learn guitar, piano, ukulele, or bass. And it's even easier to learn your favorite tunes on those instruments. Please, become the musician you've always wanted to be. Visit musician.com slash words to try Musician with a 20% discount using the code WORDS, W-O-R-D-S, obviously. Musician is a great app step-by-step process, you really get into the nitty-gritty of learning these instruments, and it is so, so easy. My seven-year-old is learning piano on this, okay? So download Musician today and get 20% off, okay? Use the code words. Listen, this is serious business. If you've ever stopped at a railroad crossing and the signals are flashing, you don't see the train or it looks like it's moving slow, you're like, yeah, I could probably squeeze in there before the train comes. Think about this. In 2018 alone, 270 people were killed at railroad crossings. 270, that's crazy. So stop and wait because trains can't. I lived by train tracks for many years of my life and I always kind of thought that, but you need to be safe. Stop. Trains cannot. Now here's the show. Hello everybody, how are you? I am Ray Harkins, you are hanging out on this very podcast feed called 100 Words or Less, where we talk to people who are involved in independent music, independent culture, you know, that's mostly specifically focused on on music. But, you know, there are many different ways that you can take independent culture, that whole DIY mentality. Like, for example, this morning I was listening to a new episode of the Mark Marin podcast, WTF, which if you are not a listener of that, you need to rectify that immediately, not like I'm, I'm recommending one of the most popular podcasts of all time. So if you haven't, if you, for some reason, listen to this show and you've never listened to Mark Marin's show, you will notice a lot of similarities in there. And I've made no bones about the fact that I, uh, you know, basically ripped his idea off and are, uh, doing this for a more independent music scene. But anyways, the example I'm trying to make Christina Hendricks, who is a professional actress who's been in Mad Men and a bunch of other crazy stuff. Um, you know, she's very successful. And uh, they start talking about music, and she talks about Sisters of Mercy and, and Skinny Puppy, and then she talks about Fugazi, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like that's insane that <laughs> that was a formative thing in her life. So, But at the same time, it's like this: these music scenes have existed for 30 plus, 40 plus years now, and um, it's, uh, it's, it's just incredible. So, But anyways, that's, I, I, I digress. The point being, this is very influential stuff. And I have a guest who is very influential on me, is also a very, very good human being. His name is Tim Singer. He's a vocalist from Dead Guy, Kiss a Goodbye. He also did a project called uh, Family Man that uh, I don't, I, I think a demo was posted online if I'm not mistaken. But uh, Tim Singer, uh, it, frankly, one of my favorite vocalists of all time. I love everything he has done. And he also played in No Escape. Like, how could I forget that? I have a ridiculously old <laughs> No Escape shirt 
myself, but, um, yeah, more about Tim in a minute. I'm just, I, I can't even believe that I'm saying that he's on this podcast, but there's, there's exciting stuff afoot. The band curl up and die, who is a, was a very, and still is a very, very important part in my music upbringing because, uh, my band, my band taken, we did a ton of stuff with them as far as touring. And we kind of started it at the same time. And, you know, we went off in different paths as far as like signing record labels and tours and all this other stuff. But we did so much together and, um, those guys became really, really close friends. I toured with them just independently, like as a, a merch guy, tour manager, hanger outer guy. But it was, uh, really, really fun to hear that they are doing a reunion show at chain reaction on June 22nd and, uh, taken is playing the show along with some other great bands like seizures and regional justice center who are both previous guests, of the uh, of this very podcast, but um, that show is happening. And if you are in the Southern California area, or even if you're not, come hang out. Tickets are. I mean, this sounds like so stupid. Tickets are going fast, like whatever, whatever that means. But it's true. Tickets are selling really well. If you want to go, you should buy your tickets now, and don't be bummed when you're like, oh man, I I, I waited too long because the show is going to be really really fun. And uh, I didn't think this was was, was going to happen, but it did, and that's awesome. And I also want to tell you about rockabilia.com. Use the code PCJabberJaw, and that gets you 10% off your order, whatever you're ordering on there, which is band merch. They know exactly what they're doing with band merch. They ship it to you fast. They have high-quality designs that are all authorized and endorsed by the bands. They get paid. You get cool merch. This awesome independent company stays in business for another 175 years. They've already been around for 30 plus years. They're just a great business. So support the supportive and support them. PC Jabberjaw for 10% off of your order. Thank you very much to the beautiful folks at Rockabilia. What else do I have to tell you about Tim Singer? Uh, There isn't much beyond the fact that he's an unbelievable vocalist. He basically really, really channels his anger and rage in a, in like the most palpable way possible <laughs> as far as his screaming it just sounds so tortured and i yeah that's that's what places him on the top the mount rushmore of my favorite vocalists you know it's like him chris callahan maybe carl from earth crisis especially when you're talking about like you know more independent uh minded music stuff like you know i'm, I'm not going to compare him to ian curtis because uh, that's a whole different ball game but as far as aggressive music is concerned okay how about we say that but, um, yeah, Tim Singer, I, I, I spoke to him, gosh, I interviewed him. I want to say like, I don't know, 15 years ago for a great zine that was happening at the time called status. My friend Seth Brown did that. If any of you remember uh status fanzine, just, oh man, pour one out. Such a good zine. But, uh, I interviewed him and I actually went back in my archives and found the actual hard copy of it to look at the interview questions to see if I like did a terrible job. Cause I spoke to him for over an hour and we only ended up using, you know, maybe 10, 15 of those questions. But, uh, I realized I'm like, oh man, I had no idea what I was doing back then. <laughs> sorry, sorry to anybody who I interviewed when I was like 21 years old. But in any event, uh, Tim was very gracious, came on, hung out hard and this episode is spectacular so here that is and i will talk to you after the episode is over
the idea that, you know, I mean, I've told you this before and, uh, you know, I've, I've blown smoke up your butt before that, uh, you know, you were definitely, you know, one of my favorite vocalists of all time. And I know this question has been posed to you, but, uh, in some fashion, but the, uh, you know, people are clearly listening to, you know, dead guy, kiss goodbye, no escape. And are just like, dude sounds pissed. Like he, every band he's singing sounds pissed. And like, you know, I know this is a very sort of elementary question, but just like, did you always kind of like just tap into like, I am going to yell at the top of my lungs. Like I'm always going to, you know, <laughs> blow myself out or whatever. Or was that something you kind of like, you know, I guess learned how to do, learned how to tap into something or was that just always kind of the mode you were in? Um, right. I think it's, it's funny. I think it's always been there. It's like, uh, I'm, I'm a mellow person. If you, if you know me, um, and people are sometimes surprised when they hear the music. But I remember running into some friends of mine that I grew up with and telling them, like, the type of music I was doing. And I think I might have played some. And they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, they, they sort of got it. Um, like, for me, punk rock was that stuff you listen to alone in your room when, <clears throat> I don't know, you felt like you're the only person who felt the way you feel. And, I don't know, nobody gets you or... I, I don't know, I don't get too melodramatic about it, but like, like that's the shit I grew up like, I don't know, loving, right? Like, and it, it's, you know, to this day, I still love really, I don't really listen to a lot of like, quote unquote, heavy music. It's more heavy in terms of like mood. Like, I just don't, I just like that. I like heavy movies. I like heavy music. It could be Johnny Cash. It could be PJ Harvey. It could be Black Flag. It could be laughing hyenas, whatever it is. It's, it's, it's like that, that kind of mood. Um, but it's not a macho thing. I'm not a tough guy. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's something that's easy for me to tap into when I get into a room with, um, some musicians and we, and we put on some, you know, we create some, some loud music. And a lot of it was a reaction to like, you know, I was like a New York hardcore kid and it, it became a very clicky scene. You know, it was almost like there was like a popular crowd and, and it like, none of that made sense to me. And every, all of a sudden everybody's getting sort of stylish and everybody's it's like style is a really big thing. And I don't know, like, like instant fame was a big thing. And then rocking out was a big thing. I just was like, I want to go back to like reaching those kids who feel like, like no one, no one feels the way they feel. Like giving them like a soundtrack for um, that feeling, right? Where you're alone in your room and you're blasting this music and you find some solace because you're not you're not the only person that's crazy. So that's sort of where it comes from. Yeah, no, that's I, I appreciate the articulation because I think it's uh, you know most people, especially when you're talking about you know punk or hardcore. I think it's, you know, people are just like, oh yeah, like you're yelling, but like, you know, people like you and I, and obviously all of our peers who have listened to this style of music over time, like there's so much nuance with, you know, screaming, like there's yelling yeah. and like, and <laughs> so to like, you know, to an untrained ear, people would just be like, oh yeah, everyone's angry. And it's just like, well, yeah, everyone is expressing an emotion that is akin to it, but like just the actual execution of it, it differs so greatly, you know, just like singing is. Yeah. 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 And I hate getting, I hate getting lumped in with the guys that I, like I call them blurry vocals where it's like, you know, it's like, blurry, like I like that sort of cookie monster thing. Like, you know, and 
you know, I have, a lot, I have a lot of friends who don't listen to this music at all, and I just go, yeah, you hate it. You, you'll think I'm screaming my head off, and, you know, you'll think I'm insane, and, and you'll hate it, and your kids will hate it, and they'll think I'm weird. And, and, and that's fine. Like, I didn't do this to be, be Pearl Jam, right? Um, yeah, but I hated also getting lumped in with, like, a lot of this sort of macho, generic, satanic, whatever. Um, I just, I sort of, because for me, my heroes were like like Henry Rollins. To me, that was just like he's almost like just singing the blues, but a lot grittier, right? But he pronounced every word. There's there's actual expression of thought, you know. There's there's even vulnerability. There, you know what I mean? And, and and you know, and like he didn't throw in fuck every other word just to to make something rhyme. So. Like, you know, I was riffing off of the Fugazis and the Shellacs and the Rollins bands. And I mean, lyrically, that's where, you know, th- those are sort of my heroes vocally and lyrically. And, you know, Jesus Wizard or, uh, you know, the, the list goes on. And it's not, you know, Pantera, Megadeth, Slayer, or whatever, you know, even though I think that's a lot of what, like, my bandmates were into. And I, I think that's sort of what worked was it's a combination of we were, we were all drawing from different influences, especially dead guy, you know, everything from like contemporary sort of noise core stuff that wasn't even that popular, like the cows or today's the day, like, or guys and kill men. Like we were sort of pulling from all these places. And I, I just pulling from my, you know, eighties punk rock heroes sort of world of, you know, suicide. My wife actually, like after I was doing this for years, my wife was like, you know, you remind me of the guy from Suicidal Tendencies. And I was like, oh my God, it's probably so true, right? Like institutionalized, like so many of my songs, I think are sort of like that where I go on these rants, um, you know, and, but I'm not trying to be anybody either. It's just like, these are the things that influenced me. This is like when I got into music, I was like, I'm doing this to sort of do my, like, because I've always wanted to do it and, be, and, I'm, and I'm doing it for like the younger me, right? Like what, 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 what it did for me when I was like, I don't know, feeling lost or whatever. Yeah. And I, I love being that person or creating that music for someone else uh, growing up that way. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It, like, it just seeps into you and like whether or not you are, you're attempting to, you know, call back to that, influence it's like it just kind of you know it just comes out that way like this mixture of all the stuff that you have you know got into before or whatever but um you know kind of putting the focus specifically on you um you know again like trying to you know trying to find sort of uh, simple biographical information about you i was uh i was struggling i know i know that you were kind of you know did you like you were born and raised in the new jersey new york area or where did you kind of come up um I was actually born in, in Holland, but uh, I was raised in New Jersey from the time I was one, um, yeah, all the way through college, really. Like, I hopped around. I went to a ton of colleges. I was basically majoring in going to shows, so college is, like, my second <laughs> secondary concern. Sure. You know, like, and it's funny because, like, I went to uh, Westchester as one of the colleges in Pennsylvania, took a silk screening class because I wanted to make girl biscuits t-shirts. Right. And so like that, that was my priority with everything. It was like, how can I take a class that's going to help me, you know, lay out a record or do a t-shirt or whatever it was. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Jersey. My older brother, he's four years older. His name's Tom. Um, and my stepbrother, Dennis, who I did Bonnie point with, I did Bonnie point with Dennis Chang and Tom Rockefeller. I think a lot of people don't realize Dennis Chang is my stepbrother. 
which mm-hmm. he's really just my brother. But, um, yeah, I grew up, and I probably got into punk rock in, like, 1983, uh, probably Dead Kennedys. And my brother was playing all this shit in his room, you know, and it really started with Sex Pistols and The Clash, and then um, was, I remember Dead Kennedys blowing my mind. Um, that is a seven inch called too drunk to fuck. Oh yeah. And it just blew my mind. I don't know. It's just like this surf punk and Jilla Biafra and all his crazy lyrics. And then, you know, you buy let them eat jelly beans and you discover bad brains and black flag. And then you start going to New York and you discover bleaker bobs and Lewis records. Um, I remember running into Gavin Van Vlack when I was probably 16 um, ran into him at a record store and he was just a bouncer at the time. Like, you know, it felt like there's about five punk rock kids, you know, in the world back then. And he's like, you got to buy anything by exclaim, like anything by, you know, SSD, you know? And so New York was a really cool place back then. So I, I really felt like you know, New York is my scene. I grew up in the Jersey suburbs, really. Mm-hmm. But it was like me and my stepbrother and a couple of other misfits would go into the city as much as we possibly could. And we'd go to those big shows at the Ritz, um, like seeing bands like the Chromags and DOA and Circle Jerks. And, and then uh, it was April of 96 when I saw, of 86, sorry, when I saw Agnostic Front at CBGB's. And that's when I, I feel like I discovered like real hardcore. Sure. Like the smaller club, you get wiped out. You know, the bands that aren't on the stage that are playing the, the show are like in the pit when they're not playing the show. And like, I'm in the pit with people like Harley Flanagan and stuff like that. And like, it, it was, it was a crazy violent pit, but you know, you'd almost like go in almost like a dare and try to survive. And if you landed on the floor, someone would pick you right up. Like it was, it was pretty cool. And yeah. you know, you'd sort of, you sort of check out your battle wounds after the show and you'd be drenched in sweat and um, there's nothing quite like it. That's no, that's really cool. It's cool too, that you had that, you know, kind of built in communal vibe from not only, you know, once you started going to the city, but that the fact that, you know, you and your, your, your brothers were all piled around getting into the same stuff. That's, uh, you know, exciting, especially, you know, so were you, you were the, the youngest of the crew. Yeah. Me and my stepbrother are like two months apart, but yeah, I'm the youngest of the crew. Okay. And, uh, yeah, like you can go to New York and it was just funny. You see somebody else wearing like a punk t-shirt and you sort of gave the, the head nod, right? Like right. Compton Square Park and stuff like that. Cause like, yeah, it was like a much smaller tribe back then, you know? And then it was like, then I saw, then some records opened. Like that was like this phenomenal indie record store. And that became like a hangout for all the bands. I remember seeing Youth at Today open for Reagan Youth at, at the Danceteria. Um, and like, it was like these freaking tough looking shaved head dudes playing pissed off straight edge music. And it was, it was, it was mind blowing. Cause nobody knew who they were really. It was like when they were first starting out and I was like, these guys are fucking cool. And I was nowhere near being straight edge. I just was like fucking straight edge bands have something going on. Cause that band was awesome. Right. And so, you know, bought the can't close my eyes seven inch. I'd see youth today every chance I got. And it's like, it went from seeing them in the CBs with a half full, you know, club to like by the end it was like ridiculous yeah how packed these used to be you know yeah no that's that's that's, that's super a little cool. bit of my punk rock intro i yeah. guess no 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 it's all, I, it's all, it's all, yeah. Yeah, it's all and it's all exciting too because like you're, you know, I, I love going through people's you know journeys as they got into you know aggressive independent music, whatever you want to call it, because I, it's so um, you know I, this sounds 
kind of Pollyanna-ish, but it's like, it's so, uh, it's, it's devoid of context. Like you're just getting into this stuff because you're just like, wow, this is cool. This is aggressive. And like, you know, you're not really paying attention to, you know, the scene and like, I mean, you notice it, but you're not like, you're just consuming this stuff and it's like, it's all exciting. And then, yeah, I, I I just like that, that lineage. And there's, um, there's a lack of like, there's, there isn't this like hyper self-awareness that happens today. You know, like it was just happening and we weren't like thinking, we weren't stopping to think like, how cool is it that people are putting on their independent shows and how cool is it that people put out their own records? It was just what was happening, right? You just discover like to me, Alternative Tentacle was just a record and Discord were just record labels. I wasn't stopping to think like, how fucking cool is it that Ian McKay started a record label? Like it was just, it was what it was. And you sort of step back later and you kind of go, man, that was special. Right. Like I was there for the birth of Revelation Records. Right. And Jordan Cooper and I have been friends since day one. Um, you know, and just like how and, and like I remember the Grill Biscuit demo when I was a freshman in college that came out. And like I would drive all the way from South Jersey to go see them up play playing CBGBs when they were like, you know, an opening act uh, with just demo songs, you know, but they were just something a little bit different, you know, and. You know, I'd write to Maximum Rock and Roll and hope my letter got printed out. I'd write to bands and they'd write me back and I'd get demos in the mail. And there's this whole independent world that sought no... I think what was great about it is it didn't seek any attention from this mainstream world that lived above it, right? It had nothing to do with MTV or any of that shit. Um, and today it's, today it's just much more complicated. It'd be, it'd be harder to sort of replicate this, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. So I feel really fortunate to have been around, and then I'm for- I feel fortunate that you know my father gave me a camera when I was 14 years old. He actually gave all three of me, me and my two brothers. We all got cameras like for Christmas when when I was 14, and uh, like that was just sort of luck because then we started taking pictures at shows, and and I have pictures of all this stuff, which is also sort of amazing. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. It's super cool. It's, what did your, uh, what did your parents do for a living that, uh, cause I mean, being born in Holland, I'm going to kind of randomly guess that, uh, <laughs> there was a, a military background or was that just random that you were born? No, no, no. My father's Dutch. My mother's German. Okay. My, you know, I'm the youngest of four. My sisters were born over there. Like, well, my, my parents moved back and forth a lot. Um, until I was born, like once I was born, they moved back to the States for good. But they split up by the time I was four, so I grew up really um, with a single mom, and it was just me and my brother to, to a huge degree. And then my father came back into the picture when I was like in high school, and like he worked for Merck, like he was like a mechanical engineer. Ah, um, got it. And I used to spend, but I used to spend summers touring Europe with him. Basically, like we'd drive around um, in his red Beetle. It was pretty cool. Um, for a couple of summers in a row, we just drive around, stay, stay camping or staying hotels and visit, visit relatives. So, uh, but yeah, they, they, they have nothing that my parents had, they have no inkling about music. They know that I do it and have done it. Um, I don't think they've ever heard a song, you know, none of that. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was sort of just, yeah, you know, and I was raised by a single mom who paid no attention. So I was like, I was, we were sort of on our own, you know, like I could disappear for days and no one would care. So, um, that, that, that made for good punk rock experience. Yeah. Um, being able to just 
um, be pissed off at the world and then disappear. And <laughs> sure. I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm a father of three, and my kids are just growing up so differently. They're like, they can't even begin to relate. It's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, I, I, I was, I was going to pick on that uh, a little bit later, just in regards to, you know, when you do the whole full circle, like, you know, you're, you're a parent and you've been raised in this subculture and environment. And it's always such an interesting thing where it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, if my parents didn't do these things, then I would have never, you know, gotten in, exposed to this or whatever. But yeah. Um, and so like, did you, you know, as you were kind of, you know, building your own identity and, you know, going to, you know, junior high and high school and stuff like that, you know, clearly you had been kind of consumed by music at that point. Like, did you, and kind of, you were joking around a little bit earlier about, you know, going to a million different colleges. Like, did you care about school or did you have any sort of like uh, quote unquote visions for the future about what you wanted to do with your life? Yeah. Well, the, the funny thing is, uh, you know, as, um, I was pretty much a straight A student up until about 10th grade. Right. And, um, I, I lived with my mom and she did, there's no parenting there. We just sort of were like roommates almost. And I, I did my, sh- you know, I, I took care of my shit. I, I was really good at school. And but she came home one day and said, God is sending me to Pennsylvania. There's, there's a song about that called riot stairs. Um, and she just sort of turned my world upside down. My whole world was my friends and really it was my friends and, and my own little family outside of my family that I built. And she decided in the middle of 10th grade that she was going to pick up and move to the middle of Pennsylvania for some job. And it was, it was sort of sprung on me. And then next thing I know, I'm living with my father who now has been living in the States. Um, and I'd never lived with him that I could ever remember because my parents split up when I was so young. So now I'm, I'm in a town 10 miles away, don't know anybody. And, and post Christmas break, middle of 10th grade, I'm the new kid in school. And I was, I was ill equipped to deal with that to say the least. Right. Um, and I went from being a straight A student to the master of cutting class so I could get on my bike and bike back to my hometown and hang out with my friends. Um, cause I didn't really feel a connection to my father and my, you know, I, I my step, my, my brother and stepbrother lived there, but I'd never really lived with them either. So it was just like this really, um, inartful way of thrusting me into this entirely new life. And, uh, that's when I discovered how pissed off I was. That's when I discovered, um, punk rock, et cetera, et cetera. And eventually I grew really close to my brother and stepbrother, uh, because of the punk rock sort of connection. And I think they, they felt just as disrupted by this new weird family dynamic as I did, I think. Um, so we all sort of shared that. But, uh, yeah, the funny thing is, like, my whole, I, growing up, I was like, I'm a straight-A student. I'm going to go to Dartmouth like my oldest sister did mm-hmm. and live happily ever after. That, that was my mindset. And I was like, as long as my mom is leave me alone, then I'll be my shit. And uh, so she sort of threw a monkey wrench in my whole world. And, you know, me being, I think I was 14 or 15 at the time, I just didn't know how to handle it, you know? And I had no one to talk to about it. And so I was just pissed off all the time. Sure. And, sure. Uh, yeah. Well, cause you don't, yeah. you know, at that time, <laughs> I mean, it makes total sense. Cause at that time you have no agency, like the, the things that you can control are very, very limited. And so when you feel like 
you know, the, the small things you can control, like, you know, whatever your group of friends, like the time that you do spend away from, you know, your parents and away from school and stuff like that. And then it all gets yanked out from underneath you. You have no choice, but to just, just completely, completely go the opposite direction and push so hard against it. And like you said, just get, you know, mad. So I, I completely, you know, see why the, the trajectory of you being like, Oh yeah, I care about school to like, nah, man, you, you, you change this, you change this on me. This, the yeah. goalposts have moved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> like you can look back on it and go, huh. And then in some ways I'm like, well, you know, I'm glad it happened because I've made records and I've met people all over the country and you know, it's been a really interesting life. So yeah, it's one of those, it's, it's just interesting to look back on. Right. And you only get your one life. So it's like, huh, yeah. that's, the, that's the track I was on. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know? the, that's the way the cookie crumbled. Um, yeah. And, and you know, kind of, uh, sort of on that, that same tip, the, um, you know, and f- frankly, just, you know, the era that, uh, all of your bands kind of existed in, um, there is this weird, uh, whether or not, you intentionally did it or this was just kind of, you know, like I said, a function of the, the era that your bands existed in. There's always this, you know, weird air of mystery about you where it's just like, you know, people, you know, like generally speaking, like no one was, you know, talking like bad about you, I guess, reputation wise, but it's just like, you know, people didn't really know, I guess, uh, you know, from a like music listener standpoint where it's just like, Oh, like does this Tim singer guy just like, you know, like you were saying earlier where you're just, you know, a pretty quiet dude. Um, you know, so like, I guess, do you kind of notice that sort of like, you know, air of mystery, like uh, Tim Singer's just this, this uh, you know, this guy that exists and like he yells into a microphone occasionally. And, you know, I, yeah. I, am I just like, am I, I just I reading way too much because, into it? Um, yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I, I hear it from, I'm, I've been actually playing with No Escape for the last two years. Um, so everything comes full circle. But the only reason I'm doing No Escape is because we're writing new music and, that makes you really happy. But, uh, and we, we'll play a couple of the old songs. We'll probably play out this year at some point, but, um, yeah, the guitar player for no escape. Steve was always like, yeah, dude, this guy fucking hates you. And I'm like, I don't even, I literally don't know who these people are. Um, and I think people, um, I think if I come across aloof is maybe the best way I could put it. Like, and I've never really cared what people, said or thought about me um but i've never really heard it either like i just like i i do my bands and i've been with the same woman since before i even did a fanzine you know she's the mother of my children she's my wife i've always had this other like i've never been all in as far as like i'm gonna be hardcore tim 52 weeks a year get in the van like it was like and but I mean, I, I took my band super seriously and I was all in, but, it, but not into the scene, right? Like I couldn't be talking about every hardcore band that exists when I go home, when I wake up, when I go to work, like that, that just gets tired for me. You know, like I can't, I can't be that guy. Like I, 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 I wanted a more 360 life or else I go crazy. Like tour, like, you know, there's some people who are born for that, man, or they, they, they just like, they live on the road and this is all they do. Um, and that's just never been me. Um, but yeah, it's funny because, you know, I'll hear from someone like so-and-so hates you or, or is pissed at you for something. And I'll have no idea what it's about. And, um, <laughs> that's funny. And like, I'm not, I don't have any pissing matches with anybody. Like, like I'm, I'm, 
yeah, I'm not in this to like out aggro somebody. I'm not like, yeah. So I hear stuff like that and I'm, I go, you know, that's too bad. And I'll talk to anybody, you know, and it's a funny thing. Like I love meeting people. I love hearing other people's stories. Um, yeah. So all this stuff I've heard it, you know, sort of roundabout about me, but, uh, you know, I definitely, it's funny because my guitar player also gives me shit because I don't text back right away and stuff like that. I'm like, dude, I didn't grow up with a fucking cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Not funny. my master. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, it just never will be. Um, and some people like live by that stuff or like live for that interaction. And, um, yeah, I, but it's, I didn't try to cultivate it, you know, or, but, you know, I've, I've met a lot of lead singers and I have noticed that I'm much like, I'm, I feel like I am a lot more introverted, um, or just naturally quiet or I don't seek attention the way a lot of lead singers that I've met do. Um, and I've seen them like, you know, they're on all the time. Like they're always trying to act like a certain way. Um, like make they go to bed feeling like they're the lead singer of a band and they wake up feeling like they're, and that's never been me. I, I mean, I, I've always just, you know, I think I've been amazingly lucky to hook up with amazing musicians and they leave me alone to sort of try to break. I have no musical training whatsoever, but they leave, and they leave me alone to sort of figure out, you know, how am I going to turn this song into a story that, that, you know, makes sense to me. And I think, you know, the trickier the music, the more I tried to make it relatable to a person like me who doesn't write tricky music, you know? Um, and somehow I've always gotten hooked up with really good musicians, which is just luck. And, uh, but I, I've, you know, but I've also tried to like, be like, you know, with, with every band and every song and every record, it's like, I've tried to just get more and more honest, more, yeah, more open. I don't have an agenda when I write lyrics. I'm not. I'm not like we need to have a straight edge song or a not straight edge song or you know. And I try not to be reactionary about quote unquote the scene. I try to find sort of if I feel something, I, th- I try to figure out what's universal about it or what angle can I take on it that's sort of that relatable thing. So sure. I've got for a long ramble for no, 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 questions. no, but I, I, well, you hit the nail on the head. I think, <laughs> I think the, the one, two punch of, like you said, being aloof and then not being the, uh, you know, sort of lead singer stereotype of a person who, you know, is just like, Oh yeah. Like, obviously I'm on the center of stage. Like, look at me, pay attention to me. And yeah, they're definitely, um, yeah, I, I could see where we're both of the, you, but you put both of those things together and people are going to assume that just like, Oh yeah, he wants to be the mysterious dude or whatever. So yeah, I understand what you're saying. Hey, our friends in Podcoin are back and they want you to know, do you can get paid for listening to this podcast? It's totally crazy, but it, it works. I've used it. It's great. So download the PodCoin app, and it pays you to listen to podcasts. So real simple review on how it works. You listen to podcasts, and you're in PodCoin while you listen. Then you turn that PodCoin in for gift cards at places like Amazon or Starbucks. Or if you're a good person, you can do, donate to some charity, which I've done that, but I've also had some coffee too. So download the PodCoin app right now on iPhone or Android and use the code WORDS, W-O-R-D-S, and you'll get 300 PodCoin just for signing up. And if you listen to enough of this very show on there, or any other show for that matter, you can get a cappuccino at Starbucks or an Amazon gift card. It's just, it's great. 
So listen to this podcast or like I said, any other podcast, but let's be honest, just listen to this one on PodCoin and sign up with the code words to start earning today. It'll change the way you listen to podcasts. So essentially just let me buy you coffee via our good friends at PodCoin. Okay. Do that now and I will love you and they will love you. And it's a mutual love fest. Okay. PodCoin download it today. Use the code words. Now here's the rest of the show. Your, your, your first band experiences, like you, you know, as you started to get, you know, immersed in the scene and going to shows and doing all that stuff, um, you know, cause boiling point was your, your fanzine, correct? Or was that the first band that you played in? Yeah. Okay. No, just, just a fanzine. We put like five issues. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. And like you said, you were attracted to photography at an early age and stuff. And so you kind of, you know, that would, was that kind of like your first step into, I guess, kind of contributing to the scene in a way? Yeah, I'm trying to think which came first, that or like doing a ton of like band t-shirts. It was probably around the same time. So like I was in Westchester, Pennsylvania, living with my brother and my then girlfriend, now wife, and a rotating cast of, you know, punk rock kids were always around. And 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 my best friend, Tom Rockefeller, who did the zine, I think he lived with me up there for a while. My stepbrother had been going to college in Boston. He, he sort of started know the Boston scene a little bit. And he's like, I'm doing a zine. And that's why it's called Boiling Point, because it's based on an SSD song. And um, so he was the impetus. And then we, he's like, he wrote up a ton of questions, and we got up the nerve to talk to a band. I forget who was in the first one. It might have been... Uh, American Standard and Gorilla Biscuits. I can't remember, but uh, I don't know. We and you know the the biggest fear was like, God, if I interview somebody and they're a dick, I'm going to be totally disappointed. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> totally because this is punk rock, and I, I I hold punk rock to a higher standard. I'm like, you know, the rest of the world can be full of assholes, and you can sell out and whatever, right? And punk rock's a place where you don't do that, right? And that's how I always felt with my bands too. It's like I was never concerned about. I don't know, like whether or not we got paid by Victory Records or anything like that, because it's not why I did it. Um, but uh, so the zine came out, I don't know exactly what year, it was probably 89. And around the same time, you know, I was taking the silkscreen classes, I just wanted to make my own shirt. So I made my own Slapshot shirt, I made my own side by side shirt. I think the side by side shirts might have gotten sold at some point. Um, made my own Gorilla Discus shirt, which is now the super collectible shirt. Um, I saw somebody wearing it at the Alone in the Crowd show, actually. Oh, nice. Uh, just last week. But, um, and I, I made that, and I'd wear these shirts to shows. And I, that, I remember going to a GB show and, and talking to Walter. He's like, can you print some of those up for me? And that, so that's how that whole thing started. Um, and it was Walter who kept going, move to New York, man, move to New York. So Walter also planted the seed to... Uh, because after Westchester, uh, me and Tammy, my wife, uh, and my stepbrother, and all of Boiling Point, and my wife moved into the Youth of Today apartment while they went on tour. And, and that was in Williamsburg in, like, 89. And so that was our intro to, to really living in New York. And we had access to, like, all these Youth of Today photos. And we did a Youth of Today interview. And so we, and they were, like, a mecca band for us. So that was, like the stream come true type of thing. Yeah. That's, that's um, incredible. You yeah. were subletting their apartment while they were on tour. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I remember taking the subway for the first time from, cause I never took the subway to Brooklyn. Like I always went to shows in Manhattan, you know, like, 
So the subway was like sort of terrifying. I remember having to start taking the subway to Brooklyn and, you know, I remember seeing Harley Flanagan on the subway going, holy shit, you know, stuff like that. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's how we first started. And then, then, yeah, from doing the zine, you just end up being around bands a ton and like, they want you to do their records and they, other bands wanted me to do their t-shirts. So I was like, t-shirt guy you know i was doing t-shirts for everybody yeah um, and that kind of like t-shirts and photos and the yeah. Yeah. And that, well, I was just going to interrupt your train of thought because uh, clearly that, you know, is the, the roots of, you know, why you got into, you know, design and, you know, the branding. And I mean, even though you had no idea, like that's what you called sure. it, like you were just being like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll make a t-shirt. Like I'll, I'll make this look cool or whatever. So that's cool. I, I didn't know. I, yeah. I knew you had an experience with design. I just didn't know the kind of the, the impetus and the roots of it. And so that's, uh, <laughs> I like that. Um, and so, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's funny that, like, I know guys who are around the scene and you know, we put out records and stuff. And some of us are successful at what we do now. And we're just like, yeah, everything we learned, we learned from the scene because it's like, and we don't relate to people who like plug into this sort of corporate structure stuff. Um, because it's like, if you need something done, just do it and you figure it out and you don't ask permission. You, you know, um, it wires you a certain way and it's pretty cool. So yeah, you get this education. You don't realize you're getting totally. Yeah. I, I um, agree wholeheartedly. I mean, that's anytime you're applying to the creative field, whatever that may mean, whether that's, you know, television, movies, painting, like all of that stuff, you, you know, people that come from the DIY culture of, I mean, it doesn't matter stylistically what you play, but if you come from that idea of like putting on shows and doing stuff, like you said, without permission, I think you have such a leg up on most people who, you know, it's like, Oh, I need these pieces of paper in order to tell. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't make sense in people's brains like ours. <laughs> but the, yeah, uh, yeah, we're just simply not wired that way. No. So many people that, like treat the CEO like royalty. And I'm just like, I just don't understand it. Like, I just cannot relate to it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, just um, treat him like a human being. I think we're off for yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, like I, I'm not going to, you know, belabor a lot of points for you know each of the bands that you played in, but just kind of, you know, hit on a few things that, uh, you know, I've, I've noticed per se, where it was like, you know, uh, no escape was, you know, clearly a weird band because like you said, you were, you know, you clearly were coming from like, you know, the hardcore scene and your band, you know, played a lot with, uh, other bands of that same ilk, but clearly you didn't sound like it because you were, you know, kind of going in a, a little more aggressive route, um, the right. was it uh you know because the lines were a lot you know blurred back then where it's like you know like and i mean in the 90s as well where it's like you know you had hardcore bands playing with like emo bands and stuff like that um you know did you always kind of feel like you know no escape like as you guys were playing shows and stuff like you kind of fit in but you didn't really fit in at the same time yeah i mean i felt that with all my bands right um <laughs> it's with no escape it's like we toured and um, it's funny because, like, the other bands would be like, oh, man. Like, they would really get into what we were doing, I think. You know, like, with No Escape, it's like they were a little rockier, but I was still just belligerent, you know. And and we were a little bit more, like, they were like, you know, it was like early Pearl Jam and um, what the fuck's the other, Alice in Chains, like, they're, they're really into that shit. So they're sort of leaning a little bit that way, but I would always pull it back the other way with my vocals and everything. So there's always this sort of nice tension there, you know, and, um, 
my thing was like, like I, like I loved quicksand, but they sort of ruined hardcore in the way that all of a sudden, and and I, you know, and I don't know where emo came from exactly. To me, emo was like embrace and rights of spring. And that to me was emo, like that sort of summer of 87 when the discord bands sort of did these emo things. But like, and to go back to the quicksand thing, cause I love quicksand, but like all this, I just noticed like every band was sort of thinking about getting signed. Um, you know, every band is like sort of trying to get this sort of singer type of guy instead of a hard, like, you know, and I was even getting pressured. I remember like A&R guys saying, telling me when I was a dead guy, like, Hey, if you sang more, you know, I'd sign you guys. And I'd be like, if I gave a shit, I'd listen to you. Like just that fucking pissed me off more because I'm like, this is so not like what's happening to this. Like it was, it just, it was driving me crazy, honestly. And I was like, I just want to get heavier and uglier, you know? So it's like, I just wanted to kill more fucking insane because everybody's starting to fucking rock out. Everybody's starting to tuck their shirts in a little bit and everybody's growing their hair at the same time. It's just like, I, I just couldn't handle it. I was like, what? I was like, quicksand was like, was fantastic as quicksand. I didn't need 10 more of them. And I think I'd already lived through like youth of today. was fantastic. I didn't need 50 more of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just like the scene was starting to really bum me out because it was such a, there's so much of this like copycat shit going on. And I wanted it to be like, man, you know, all those old flyers I had that I somehow would find and put up in my room. It's like the Minutemen didn't sound like black flag. We didn't sound like the bad brains. It didn't sound like social distortion, et cetera. You know what I mean? Like I wanted it to be like that. And there's this weird mindset started to happen where it's like, everybody's just looking to sort of, cash in in a weird way um yeah so no i could say i, I yeah i always felt like we were like we didn't know what the fuck we sounded like man i just was like i know i don't want to write mosh parts you know i know i'm not going to write about the scene or any of that shit everything was just getting so in, sort of incestual i was like i'm just gonna fucking treat this like i'm cracking open my i'm gonna write about whatever the fuck i want and you know, things like nine stitches and like, those are literally things that have like, and I'm just going to open this shit up. I'm going to bleed onto the, onto paper. And then like, to me, I was almost being like a really, uh, really hardcore version of emo in terms of like my approach to my lyrics. Um, and I had no idea if people would like it or not, you know, like we had, it was definitely not guaranteed that people were going to like fucking dead guy. Like we were, we, we'd be in practice going, do we suck? Like, I don't, we don't even know. Right. Like people didn't know what to do with us. Like when we started playing. So, but I think that, that was the beauty of it. Right. Like that, that's the beauty of it. It's just, you know, four guys playing what they want to hear pulling from their influences and then seeing if the world gives a shit or not is sort of secondary. Sure. Totally. Well, yeah, especially when you, um, like you said, you're, you're, you're building up that, uh, that context of where it was you were coming from and you see all of the, uh, you know, the people that are trying to capitalize on 
you know, the backs of all these bands that, you know, have worked really hard and just been like, oh yeah, like, yeah, we need to sound like you said, like quicksand is an example where it's just like, you know, there's so many, uh, you know, second and third rate ripoffs that, you know, weren't even really necessarily involved in the scene and are trying to like build off that. And I could see where you have the opposite reaction. You just lean into the fact like, yeah, let's get uglier and dirtier. And, uh, you know, you, you accomplish that. Right. It's almost like there's going to be white space over here that needs to be filled. Plus, I'm pretty good at this sort of thing. Like, I'm not, I can't sing like Walter anyway. So it's sort of like, I know what I'm good at lyrically and vocally. And what I sort of like, like what feels real to me when I do it, you know? Totally. Um, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to take, I want to hear, you know, that's all. And it's funny because, like, I remember, I remember Walter describing what he wanted to do with Quicksand. He's like, you know, James Addiction meets Fugazi meets sort of hip hop, you know, like, and I was like, that's really cool, you know, and I, I, I've known Walter forever, and it's like, you know, his record collection was one-tenth, you know, hardcore stuff, and then you're flipping through, and it's like B-52s, or it's like Buzzcocks, or, you know what I mean, like, it's like, it was all over the place, like, he was pulling from, and that's why I wrote this, this was interesting, right, because they weren't like the 20th Moshcore New York hardcore band. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. They're, they're combining a bunch of different, uh, you know, eclectic and exciting influences and that kind of, you know, spawned out to, to what it was that they became. Um, yeah. Plus their line is phenomenal. Of know? course. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you can't, you can't put together a, a more, you know, classic, classic players as far yeah. as that's concerned. I was like, shit, you got Alan on drums with Walt, <laughs> I was like, and Tom Capone. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, it had to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> um, you know, so as, as, uh, you know, as, as dead guy started to, you know, come out and play and, you know, no escape obviously was in the, the rear view from that perspective. Um, you know, dead guy was definitely way more active than, you know, no escape was as far as, um, you know, touring more and kind of getting your name out there and right. you know, putting more music out there. Um, you know, did you, uh, like, did you feel, I guess, momentum with that band? Like, was it, um, kind of exciting the things that you guys were, were getting to do, uh, that was a bit, you know, on a larger scale than no escape, or did you even have the ability to kind of recognize that as things were happening? Yeah, it was exciting. It was, um, like no escape sort of fizzled out, right? I started going, I went to Rutgers, they stayed in Philly. Plus they really wanted me to, and, they they know this. I'm not talking smack in my these are like you know, my really good friends. But they wanted to be way more rock. They wanted me to sing like I was, you know, in Pearl Jam or or Allison. They really were enamored with that. And I think they've since sort of they've seen what I've gone on to do without them and I and they and they've since sort of come full circle in a way. Um we can we can laugh at that, you know, and I'll always be grateful that it was my first band and I, I love a lot of the songs we did, but yeah, they were like they really wanted to rock out. So it was like we just parted away sort of amicably. Um but it also left me with this thing, I'm like, all right, my next fucking band is gonna be full on heavy and we're gonna and and No Escape was a little bit lazy, but it was our first band. We didn't you know I was just happy to do my first band, but that was like a huge hurdle for me. And we didn't, you know, we did one tour and it was was awesome, but we didn't, we weren't like super ambitious. And then dead guy, we were like, we're playing every fucking weekend. We'll play anywhere. We'll do anything. Like we just had that mindset of like, let's just do this. Um, And that was cool. You know, and like, 
it was just cool to play a lot. Like I just loved playing a lot. I, I loved being in a tight band, you know, like I loved when we, when we had Keith Huckins, that was like the a, a, a sort of super step that we took. Um, yeah. So I, and I, you know, one of my favorite things is band practice. I love band practice. I love making songs, making something out of nothing. It is just, I don't know. There's nothing like it. So yeah, I mean, a lot of it was like, you know, I, I think this is sort of how I'm driven a little bit. A lot of it was like, fuck no escape. Dead guy's going to work 10 times as hard. We're going to do 10 times as much. I'm going to, you know, put more effort into this and just, I don't know. And sort of prove to myself that, you know, like not every band needs to sound like fucking um, Alice in Chains. Right. Right. Um, yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, but did you know, I, cause clearly, you know, at that, at that time there were not, uh, bands that were, you know, doing this for a quote unquote living. Like, you know, yes, you could point to the right. band, you know, bands in the early nineties where it's just like, Oh yeah, like quicksand and some of the, but then like, you know, there was, you know, bands that were like touring actively, you know, your, your earth crisis is in your, you know, strife and stuff like that. But like, right. d- did you ever have, you know, kind of that, uh, I guess, business vision of the band of just like, okay, like, you know, we're going to do this because, you know, over the next like, you know, five years, this is our goal or whatever. Or was it just one of those things that you were, um, just existing kind of, uh, you know, moment to moment as things were coming? You know, is, is, is moment to moment, the band, the band paid for itself, which was pretty exciting. You know, like, none of us had to dig into our pockets ever for anything, which is awesome. Um, the drummer of dead guy, definitely. I think you know, he saw more that this was an opportunity to do something. Um, and I never really thought of it that way. You know, I don't know if that's to my credit or to my dismay, you know, like, um, it just didn't really enter my mindset. Uh, I think I was you know, sort of a stubborn I also had the means to make money outside the band. Like I wasn't, I didn't have like a shit job. I could do like work I liked and make money. So it was, you know, I wasn't like, Oh my God, I've got this band or nothing, you know? And what were you doing? What were you doing to like, were you doing design stuff back then? Yeah. Yeah. I could just freelance and make, you know, decent money. You know? So, uh, So I, I can go on tour, come back, freelance, go on tour, come back, freelance, and I was, I was fine. So I was sort of comfortable in that regard. And it was, but, al- and it was always like the the through line was it was like always design. Like, would you be designing stuff like you know for like commercial agencies and stuff like that, or would you be? Because yeah, I, I started doing that more and more. Yeah, got I started it. Okay. Yeah, working at agencies and they'd know me, so I'd be like, and they'd always try to hire me, but I'd be like, yeah, no, because I'm gonna, I'll just end up quitting to go on tour. So. <laughs> Um, right. Just do this for me. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. But, uh, I think it helped us hard to find. So I, you know, I, I, I was able to do that. So yeah, it was never, and I guys always, you know, I always had the same girlfriends and you know, so I had this sort of life outside of music. So I wasn't like, Oh my God, I got to make this work. This is my one thing that I can do with my life or something. And, you know, some guys that, that it is that way, you know, I remember talking to like people in New York and they're like, this is all I can do, man. Like I, like I, you know, I was a kid from the burbs. Like I went to college, my parents paid for it. You know, like these bands from New York, a lot of them are like truly blue collar people. Like they, you know, it's amazing what they've done with their musical careers because they were promised nothing in life. You know, um, I'm much more like, you know, 
a semi-rich kid from the burbs compared to them. Even, totally. even though I didn't grow up that way. By the time I graduated high school, you know, my, my father was back in the States. He worked for a big corporation, you know, paid for my college, that kind of thing. So, yeah, right. you know, I, I wasn't back against the wall, music or nothing kind of mindset ever. You know, and I always, I always just knew, too, like, the best thing in my, that I've got going, no matter what, was my girlfriend. Like, like just, I knew she was the one and we're still together 30 years later. And, uh, you know? how, how did you, yeah, I, I have to pick into that because that's a, uh, I mean, w- <laughs> did you meet her in high school? Like, are you guys, you know, the proverbial high school sweethearts or did you, did you meet her through shows? No, it was college. It was college. Okay, college, um, got it. But I was like 17. Uh, you know, I was 87, so I was 18 or 19 when I met her, I forget. Um yeah, but that was it. We just sort of stuck yeah. together since then. Like that's incredible. We were living together within a couple of months, and then moved to New York together in the Youth of Today apartment, and then and then we lived in Greenpoint, and then we lived in Hell's Kitchen. And the whole time, I'm pretty much minoring in college and majoring in punk rock. And she's she put herself through school, and yeah, I don't know. And I just always knew like that was, that was the one that was the one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, I was never that guy that was like, so I, like, I wasn't like hanging out with hardcore people every night or, you know what I mean? Like, so I I think that's also what made me, made me seem aloof, you know, like I was never one of the boys, you know, unless I was on tour, obviously, because then I'm stuck with these guys every day. But in a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date in the hallowed library of hulu or perhaps on a shelf of dvds you haven't looked at in a decade is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions hi i'm zach braff and i'm donald Faison. in 2001 we starred in scrubs a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I know I like that. I like that. I like that picture you paint because I think that, you know, when people feel like they have some sort of semblance of stability, whether it's like, you know, their family's behind them, their, you know, significant other or whatever, you do have the ability to kind of be a little more daring in your creative pursuits, you know, or like you said, where you felt, you know, structurally sound to be like, oh, yeah, dude, I'll just, you know, when I'm home, I'll do some design work or whatever. So it can afford you the opportunities to be, you know, a more, you know, risky in regards to, yeah, the creative pursuit. So, yeah. I, I, I yeah, appreciate, yeah. yeah, I appreciate you laying it out like that. Um, and kind of on that same tip, the idea of, you know, I mean, you, you toured for years. I mean, not only with, with dead guy more, but then, you know, with kiss a goodbye as well, where you guys, you know, really, uh, hit it as hard as you could. Um, was your relationship with tour kind of always fraught with the, 
yeah, I, I like it, but then I don't like it because I have to be, you know, playing in front of, you know, five people and, you know, driving 12 hours or whatever. Um, or did you kind of always have a, a, you know, positive relationship with tour? How did your, uh, I guess, opinion evolve over time? Um, I always loved it until the obituary tour that Kiss Goodbye did. Okay. That, that, that like broke you. It, it sort of did. Okay. It sort of did. Um, I didn't want to do it. I wanted Kissing Goodbye. I was like, I want us to be like Helmet. Like, we play Kissing Goodbye shows. We don't try to, or, you know what I mean? I wanted to be like, and I don't care if it's as big, um, but the band was like, oh my God, it's obituary. We're going to play to 5,000 people every night and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, all right, well, I got outvoted, right? And they, they know this. This is not, I'm not talking, you know, I'm not talking about anything that's like secret. They know I didn't want to really do it, but I was like, I'll do it. You know, whatever. I'm up for anything. And the tour sucked. And we got kicked off because I think me and the bass player, like, were talking shit about them, like, very openly. <laughs> and somebody in the band heard it and then sure. kicked us off the floor. But they were, they were drawing flies. It was 21 and over. Like, I think pretty much every show is 21 and over. You know, half the time you could have fit all the fans into their tour bus. You know, like, it just was like a weird, you know, marriage and uh and i never liked that kind of music anyway you know i was like shit man i'm, I'm a fucking punk rock hardcore kid like touring with obituaries not on my list of things to do ever right <clears throat> and i think it was obituary i always bands are the same to me but i'm pretty sure it was obituary um but it was whatever like it seemed like a dream come true for for some of my, my bandmates um and it's it, yeah, I think that basically broke the band. Like, it was the first time my wife said, like, that was the first time she said goodbye to me and sort of had a pit in her stomach because she could tell I wasn't, like, super into it. So it was like, as long as I was into it, like, I can go on these tours, and she was just happy for me. We'd miss each other, but, you know, she's a well-rounded person with her own friends, and she'd have, she, she would do plenty of interesting things without me. So, you know, and, it got easier because you could actually, after a while, like calling people, like at first touring was tough, man. Cause like you had to find a pay phone. You had to be able to try to call them. Like that was tough. But, uh, yeah. So to me, I'm like, I, I didn't care about it. Like to me playing in front of nobody was never anything. Um, if it was like our tour and, you know, we were playing in front of like the right people who appreciate it. Um, you know, and there's always like some town in between, between cities where you play to 12 kids, but like that never bugged me. Um, I mean, obviously you always hope to be, there'd be more, but I, my mindset was like, all right, what are we do, you know, first tour, there'll be 12 next tour. There'll be 30. Cause we're going to put on such a fucking show that people are going to lie about having been there. They're going to lie and say, I was at that show when they weren't like that. That was sort of my goal for every, every show we played. Um, I wanted to be that band that was like so tight and so heavy that, you know, people lied about being there. Like that, the people that were there were like, felt like, holy shit, I saw something special. Um, right. So, because I saw rounds in 86, it was his fourth show after black flag broke up and it was just him solo. Right. And before it was the rounds band. And I saw him at this obscure club in Margate, New Jersey, and there might have been 12 of us there that weren't like regulars at the bar. And, uh, and it was the heaviest fucking most intense thing I ever saw. 
and I, you know, I took that, you know, and I've read his books and stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a Henry Rollins junkie. And, <laughs> yeah, you're like, I I, 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 I'm familiar with his work. <laughs> yeah. And, but I took that experience though, and man, he gave me, you know, I went out of my way to go to that show, and he, you know, and he played his little, and, you know, Black Flag, I'm sure, played to thousands and thousands of people, you know, and he played that show like it was, like, you know, it didn't affect him one bit, didn't affect the band one bit. And I always kind of kept that in the back of my mind, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was never about the size of a show. It was more about, you know, the first time I got stuck in a weird, like, I don't know. I just, anytime I felt like the machinery was taking over, that's when I sort of had a reaction. Yeah, it. you're right. You wanted, to, you wanted to check out of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> that is interesting, though, because it, it, the, um, the the fact that you know i i'm sure that you know because of all the bands you played in and you know worked with record labels and you know worked with booking agents and did these things that you know bands in the music industry do you know did you uh i guess did you have an adversarial relationship to kind of the business behind the bands or did you do your best to like remove yourself or how did you navigate that um i was not the point person for that stuff because i wasn't yeah i wasn't super interested in it and it did make me feel sort of, well, yeah, I mean, sometimes it just feels gross, you know, like, you know, there's these promoters, I don't know, and they, yeah, it's, it's, they're like cliche promoters, you know, and they're like, I don't, yeah, you just meet these sort of meatheads sometimes. So I was like, I just never interested in that part of it. Um, so yeah, the drummer for Dead Guy did most of that kind of stuff. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. So, so you just, re- yeah, you, you, re- yeah, you I, removed yourself. Also, yeah. I, and so I think a lot of times the singer of the band is that guy who does all that point person stuff. So, yep. you know, another way that I guess, you know, I probably came across a loser. <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know? People, people come I up to you. To and, show up and play. Right. Right. Yeah. People come up to you and be like, Oh yeah, let's, uh, let's settle for the evening. And you're like, no, no, that's not me. Just pay someone else, please. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. I'll go back to the van and read comics or, uh, you know, I did a ton of interviews, you know, and going full circle to the interview thing. Like I would do any interview with any kid. And even if they asked dumb questions, I'd try to give them deep answers because I was that kid. Like when I interviewed Fugazi, I was like shit in my pants. You know what I mean? Like this is Ian McKay. I grew up on his shit. And if he's an asshole, I'm going to be so crushed, you <laughs> yeah, know? Right. And, uh, and he was a little guarded at first because like, it was like early Fugazi when everybody was still yelling minor threat to him and stuff like that. And you know, I'm sure he had to put up with that to some degree. But, uh, once he saw that we were trying to ask cool questions and that we were cool kids and we weren't just trying to, you know, trick him into answering minor threat questions, like he was super cool. Um, yeah, that's cool. And you want, and, yeah, yeah, in turn, you wanted to be that for other people. Yeah. 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 I was like, man, if a kid wants to do a fanzine, fuck. You know, give, give them something to work with. Right. You know? You're like, I get it. I did that for years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, with, uh, with kids goodbye, I find, uh, you know, it's interesting because I mean, like you said, you know, the tour with obituary kind of, you know, broke you from that perspective. Um, but you know, kids goodbye, like it definitely felt like there was more of a, uh, I guess, trajectory for the band. Like you could easily see, you know, by that time, you know, in the later nineties, you know, bands like, you know, neurosis and like relapse had obviously, you know, risen to prominence. And there were a lot of labels that trafficked in the, you know, weird art that you'd been creating for some while for some time in all your bands. Um, 
and then you know i mean the fact that like sub pop was going to put out a seven inch for you guys and you know before you broke up um like so i I guess did you did you feel a different momentum with kiss a goodbye or did it kind of feel similar ish to um you know what you kind of experienced with with dead guy uh or or was it kind of you know one and the same Uh, it felt uh, we by the time we did by it did feel like we were like veterans you know what i mean like we'd all done bands we'd all done tours um so, so it wasn't completely business-like but it was you know everybody's more like me at that point where it was like we did the band and we all had our own sort of family lives going on to some degree and uh yeah and bands were like you know like the the whole machinery for our scene has become more sort of polished and professional in a way. So it did feel like, um, yeah, like everything sort of moved up a notch, I guess, you know, like we, the way we were, the, the budgets for recording and using, you know, getting sound engineers and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. So and we and we we were way more business like we practiced even more than dead guy like we practiced all the time, um, yeah we we lived more for tours and trying to play like the local scene so th- there was a little bit of a different vibe I think in some ways less of that sort of punk energy that dead guy had it's funny like if I listen back now I you know, I can sort of feel the mood of each band like. You know, No Escape's like my first band, and I, you have to get that out of the way. And, and Dead Guy was the most sort of experimental, what the fuck are we doing, creating new territory. And then, like, Kiss Goodbye was, like, we were the higher to sat, like, it was, like, the best drummer I could imagine, the best bass player I could imagine, the best guitar, like, you know, it's a little more mercenary, you know. Um, and we were a little more, you know, we're just a little bit older and wiser, I guess. Um, sure. Yeah, Death Fixation is the record that people talk to me about by far the most. You know, so like you know, in retrospect, I think that was the one where we we're truly sort of, you know, coming the closest to just creating a new thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I like the trajectory that you. Uh, you know, kind of laid out there too, because it's like you know, of course, everybody needs to do a first band, and like it, it's very rare where that like you know first project like lasts you for like twenty years, you know. <laughs> so it's like you need to have right, this, right. Like, those growth, uh, the the logical evolutions of you know musically how you're expressing yourself, even though it's all kind of under the you know the same premise of you know aggressive music. But then yeah, it's like by the time you're you know your second or third band in, like you said, you have the experience where it's like okay, I know what to not, I know not to make these glaring mistakes. Like we're still going to make mistakes, but I know how to like avoid some of the pitfalls from the previous ones. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, and like your first band, like you have a lyric book from your days of just fantasizing about being in a band and you have like, you know, some seriously cheesy lyrics. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, of course, because like someday I'll be in a band and I'm like writing lyrics to like songs that don't music that doesn't exist. And it's like, yeah, it's just it's just funny, you know. But you sort of you just sort of have to do that. It's like it's like having a first date or something. I don't know. Yeah. So to me, there's a natural evolution from one band to the next. I I sort of feel like it's funny because Dead Guy. I called up Rev and I was like, Hey, I'm doing this band. It's a little bit out. You know, it's not your typical thing. But I knew Jordan for years, and Jordan's like, Eh, I'll pass because like he only knew sort of how to sell. A hardcore he knew how to sell you know 
And then Dead Guy had a ton of success, which lent to Kiss Goodbye being on um, Revelation. And then I think Kiss Goodbye didn't really fit on Revelation. You know, like we made no sense on that label, and I almost wish we were on something else. It would have made a lot more sense, you know? Yeah. Oh, like, totally. totally. Yeah. If you I mean, if you put out yeah. records on, you know, Hydrahead or Relapse or anything like that, it's like stylistically. Exactly. Yeah. Stylistically, it would have made a lot more sense. Um, you know, people can see the lineage of the fact of, oh, yeah, it's not weird that Kiss Goodbye released stuff on Rev, but sonically, it definitely was, you know, not akin to anything, yeah. <laughs> anything that yeah, they were putting out. The average Rev kid today, like, you know, they're not a Kiss I feel like you can tell me this. To me, I feel like there's. Like there's people who know me for Tim is no escape boiling point, and then there's people who know me as Tim Dead Guy and Kiss Goodbye, and it's very different. You know, like the dudes from Every Time I Die and and bands like that um, reach out to me, and I don't even know if they know No Escape exists. You know, it's like it's all about Dead Guy and anything after. It's like I feel like there's this fork in the road as far as the type of people that may have liked me for one. Like I know people who like think no escape is the shit and i don't think they give a shit about dead guy right you know and vice versa it's really interesting to me um yeah there is well i mean i think too just because i think probably you know they're in quicker succession you know dead guy and kind of kiss a goodbye existed in the same ecosystem where there was you know less of a shift between um you know like no escape existing with a whole different crop of bands you know it's like i think that, right. <clears throat> i think generation i mean I always try to view like, you know, independent music in sort of, you know, four year uh, spaces where it's like, you know, whatever you'd say, generationally speaking to another human. And they would be like, oh, yes, from like the son to their daughter or son or whatever. Or the, right, the right. but like in hardcore and punk, like it turns over every four years. And so I think that that's probably the delineation line between No Escape and Dead Guy, where it was like, oh, yeah, those four years make a huge difference, you know, even though there wasn't that much time in between the ba- two bands existing. But yeah, that's right, right, right. It's an interesting train of thought. Um, <clears throat> you know, kind of the two last questions before I let you go was that the, the common theme amongst most of your kind of creative output, um, is the fact that, you know, from a musical perspective, like I'm not, you know, uh, picking apart your design work, but the, the, the music was always, uh, you know, kind of a bit early where it was like, you know, no escape, you know, definitely didn't fit in with the context of, you know, youth crew hardcore, but then, you know, your split with turning point is, you know, very, uh, high regarded on both turning point songs and no escape songs. Um, uh, but that was at the very tail end of the, you know, the band existing, um, and, you know, dead, right. guy, dead guy could have made more sense in the late nineties as opposed to, you know, kind of in the mid nineties and, you know, kiss a goodbye probably yeah, could have yeah. made, could have made more sense in the early two thousands or whatever. Um, <laughs> So I, I'm sure you have kind of noticed that within the context of, of your own artistic output where it's just like, yeah, just, and not even like, yo, I'm cool. I'm like always ahead of the curve, but just like, uh, I, I always feel like, uh, maybe I'm just uh, doing this a few years before everyone's kind of collectively ready. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've noticed that it's just funny because like, um, yeah, all of a sudden, like, you know, I remember when Dillinger escape plan was starting and people were like, and they were looking for a singer and there's a rumor they wanted to ask me to sing for them. And, um, and then years later, you know, they're like one of the biggest, you know, they play on Conan and they're like one of these biggest bands in the world. And it's like, I think we definitely are that band. I, I feel like my faith in this whole thing has been 
you know, to be that band's band, to be the band that these bands that are big, like reference or will wear the t-shirt of, or, you know, like the, like Jacob from Converge will like name drop me on Instagram, you know? And I'm like, I got one point you're like, like doing my best Tim singer. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> and then I look at how many fucking followers he has. And I'm like, Holy fuck. <laughs> right. You know I mean? Right. Like, right. You know? And he's like, he's an awesome dude. Like he's actually putting out the process black, um, for demo project thing. But, uh, yeah, I'm like, I, it's like, you know, it's, clearly I didn't have a crystal ball. I think we were just doing our own thing. And, um, you know, I'm super proud of that. And it's like, I'm proud that these bands that have gone on to like, it's, it's a weird sort of confirmation of what we were doing, I guess, but I, I was never seeking commercial success. And I certainly didn't expect like this stuff to be as commercial as it is. Like, it's sort of crazy. Um, you know, like I, so like I did guest vocals on the, the last, every time I die, that low teens record. Right. Um, yep. Cause I became through Instagram. I became buddies with a couple of the guys in the band and then me and me and the singer started trading some emails. He shared with me what the song was about. I shared with him, like we had some similar intense experiences around parenting actually. And, and, and stuff like, that. so, um, I could really tap into this one song and they sort of helped me crawl out from under my rock and get back into the studio and sort of, uh, get excited about making music again. But it's like, I was like visiting a friend in San Francisco. His daughter's like, you're on the same record as the guy, uh, panic at the disco. Right. Like, cause he does guest vocals on that. Yep. And it's like blowing her mind. She's like, Holy shit. Who are you? You know? And, uh, yeah, it's just weird that this stuff has reached such a wide, you know, like when, when low teens came out, it's like, I think I was, I went to Best Buy and saw like posters for it, you know? And, and when I was showing, you know, my kids like, yeah, I'm doing guest vocals on this record. And I pulled it up on Spotify and how many followers they had. My kids were like, who are you? You know, like, it's just bizarre. <laughs> yeah. like, so like this, this, this widespread success. And I think it's still a little bit under the radar. It's not like they're on mainstream radio, but, uh, no, because, but I do think, yeah, yeah. it's probably completely by surprise. You know, like I always knew bands can make a living, Like I always knew the neurosis thing was out there. Right. Like if I wanted to live like neurosis, I always knew that was a possibility. Right. Like just tour all the time, you know, and live out of your van or, you know, whatever. I knew that was like, I, I was pretty sure, you know, dead guy or kiss goodbye could have pulled that off. I wasn't really interested in spending, you know, 200 days of the year with my bandmates in all honesty. And I don't think, I don't think I was the only one, you know, um, I think that's what it takes. Yeah. And it's, and I, I think too, with the kind of, you know, the fact that this, aggressive music has now existed in the, uh, you know, culture and pop culture, uh, spectrum now for, you know, 30 plus years that the people who have been, you know, creating this for, you know, many, many years, whether it's playing in bands or whatever. Now, the fact that they are of an age where it's like, you know, most of these people are in their thirties, forties, fifties, and, you know, have like jobs that can influence culture, whether it's like, you know, (laughs) whatever, doing art, doing, you know, being creative in different ways. And they're all coming from the same, uh, the same space. It's like, yeah, it's only going to, you know, grow larger, but again, always, always going to be that undercurrent of like, oh yeah, this is stuff is never going to be played in the radio, but it's going to be, 
it could be reasonably popular. <laughs> like they, people can play to, you know, yeah. three, 4,000 people a night. And like, that's what happens. And, you know, but yeah, when you were, <laughs> when you were existing and touring, it's like, no, there's no way like kiss of goodbye could play in front of 3000 people collectively over a year, maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our highlight was like, I think we played to a couple of thousands when we toured with the unseen and they had just come off of touring with Slayer. So we played this really big space in LA and it was packed. And that was probably the biggest show I ever played. Um, and it was awesome. Like, yeah, it was awesome. And it was sort of weird. Right. Cause I was like, Holy shit. Like, um, I can't even see the people in the back. Like it's weird. <laughs> right. 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 And I'm like, what do I look like up here? I look like a, like a tiny little thing. And I'm not running around like, you know, I'm not, I'm not Iggy pop on stage. I'm not like, a, you know, I just sort of plant my feet and get into it. And, um, yeah, it's <laughs> like, it's sort of crazy, you know? Um, yeah. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird when you're that. in it. Like, now I see pictures of fucking, uh, even sick of it all or whoever, Cro-Mags, all these bands, like they, they play these South American things and it's like insane. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, the last thing I want to hit on was the fact, like, like you mentioned earlier, I mean, you know, been with your significant other for many, many years, you're, you know, a family man, you, you know, you do design work, you obviously still play, uh, you know, in musical projects and stuff like that. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the undercurrent of you still being, you know, interested in, in playing, like, you know, you playing with no escape and doing process black stuff. Um, like, uh, it, does that, does that itch just always kind of exist of like, oh yes, like I, I'm always want to be involved with this, you know, even if it's me not going to, you know, a hundred shows a year, uh, it, this is still an incredibly, uh, important part of my life. And I, I guess what kind of keeps you connected to that in a way? Yeah, it's funny. Like, um, it's just still in there. I think, you know, a lot of ways you're still the same, you know, like I haven't changed all that much from being a teenager. You know, the world in a lot of ways, uh, sadly proves you right. You know, like, you know, my first real job when I was a dead guy, like, okay, all the shit I thought about corporate motherfuckers is true. Right. And everything I think about. So all these, I don't know, you almost get more pissed off the older you get in, in some ways. And, and then you have offspring and you get sort of, pissed off for them and pissed off is too easy of a term, but, um, I don't know. There's no shortage of things for me to sort of, uh, expand on when, and it's just, what's really interesting is getting into a room with guys and we like we're writing music and the, and the songs sort of happen, right? Like lyrically, they just sort of happen, you know? And I think I've gotten into a space where I don't come there with like pre-written lyrics, like ideas for lyrics maybe. And then it just, it just comes out of me. So I don't even know. It's like, at this point, it's just in my DNA. And, uh, and I don't know, it's something, it's like, this is how, this is, how I, this is the kind of artistic expression I like, whether it's music or movies or, or whatever. Like, um, I like these things that tap into these darknesses that recognize them, that sort of kick the stones up to see what's underneath. Like I just like all that kind of shit. Um, and in some ways the world's gotten worse, right? I mean, I don't, we don't have to get into obvious politics, but the world's fucking <laughs> a garbage fire. Like, it's, it's surprisingly bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, holy fuck. Surprisingly bad. Um, I mean, when that motherfucker took over the white house, like, like my, my daughter was my, 
she was like sobbing, you know, and I think I felt sick for like weeks, you know? Um, so, and it's funny because like even touring, like, like just like the, the shit you see, the racism and everything else you see on tour with like when you get out of your bubble, cause New York's a bubble. Um, and the New York area is a bubble in a lot of ways where you just like this multicultural mix of people and exchange of ideas and stuff. Um, I don't know. You just, and I guess the more sort of you actually see the world for what it is, you just go, Holy shit. Um, so I think there's that to tap into. And yeah, I don't know. I just always, it's still, I've stopped trying to like, it's funny because people, like, it's like, I don't walk around all day kicking my, you know, look staring at my feet and being morbid and dressing in black or something. Um, there's a balance to it, but it's like, when I do this, that's what it's for. You know? And, um, and I found that I still have it basically, right? Like a couple of opportunities, like, you know, the process black thing with, uh, Aaron edge just sort of gave me this music to listen to and asked if I could put vocals over it. I found it super difficult cause I wasn't part of the songwriting process. That's why I had to stop. Um, it was not that organic thing, but, um, you know, I'm in no escape. I think we played some reunion show for something. I did it just to see how it would feel. And, um, you know, and, and I found that I still have an interest and I still love it and I still sound good. And yeah, but now there's like zero agenda. Like, you know, like, we, like, we practice, we practice quite a bit. We've written six new songs, No Escape has. And, uh, I'm laying down vocals for like the final three and who knows who's going to put it out. I don't really necessarily care. Um, but I like, I just like making music. Like, you know, you make a song that didn't used to exist. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool. Cause it, it's like the, uh, you know, part of the, beauty of the you know internet and ease of access is the fact that you know so many of these bands from whatever eras can exist in a space in which it's like yeah there's like literally no pressure like no band needs to break up anymore no i mean people can like you know people can like not tour but it's like that's fine like but you can still put out music if you feel the compulsion to and like it is uh it is a special place to exist in to just be like, Oh yeah, I got whatever. Like if we, you know, no escape finishes our record, we want to put it up on Bandcamp tomorrow. Like we can do that. And that's cool. And then the people that will know about it, like, you know, those are the people who've done the research on it or whatever. So it's, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I get what you're talking about though. It's just exciting to be able to still, uh, I guess, kind of contribute and feel that, that feeling of what it's like to be creative in a, a different area. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's like of all the things I've done over the last 30 years, like it's pretty fucking cool that like people have been listening to your music and like embracing it or making part of their life. Like, cause people reach out to me constantly. Like I get random emails or DMS or whatever. And I always respond back. Um, and that's just cool. Like there's nothing else quite like that where something that you created um, has an effect on somebody that you've never met. It could be across the planet, you know, um, there's something just magical about that. It's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tim, thank you so much for hanging out, dude. This was, uh, enjoyable for me and, uh, you know, I hope it was uh, enjoyable for you in some capacity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, and one more side note. So, uh, I was, I, I had back surgery almost like a week and a half ago. Right. Sure. Um, and I'm fine. It's like it was, it was over. 
I, this nerve has been pinching me, and I so I finally got the surgery, and I feel fantastic. It's nothing morbid or sad or anything. Good. But uh, but I was in the hospital, hanging out with my wife, and this guy, uh, like, texted me, and he's like, "You gotta listen to this." And it was your podcast, and it's the one where you guys come up with these dream bands. Yeah, the fantasy draft, right? Thank you for that, which is surreal. <laughs> My pleasure. So it's just funny because I'm sitting here in like a hospital gown <laughs> <laughs> waiting to have like waiting for my surgeon to show up. And I'm just listening to the podcast and my wife's like, what the hell are you listening to? I'm, like, I'm waiting for the part where he says, I don't know, this guy told me I had to listen to this and it's Ray's podcast. Yeah. And then like, yeah, so that was cool. That was like, and then, you know, an hour later they're putting me under it, but it's, hey man it's it's great you you're you're perfect in my uh my fantasy draft and uh yeah i i i'm, I'm very glad i was able to draft you and no one else stole you so uh yeah it worked out perfectly <laughs> yeah, that's cool. that was tim singer thank you very much tim for coming on the show i um yeah it's just it it's so cool to be able to speak to people whose music I've listened to and appreciated for such a long time. And, you know, Tim and I are, I, we're professional acquaintances, but, uh, I still feel really cool myself to be able to talk to him on this medium. So thank you very much, Tim. That's a long winded way of me saying that. What do we have next week? We actually have speaking of curl up and die, which is, uh, you know, that, that, that awesome thing that's happening in June, June 22nd at chain reaction. I have my friend, Mike Minnick, who's the vocalist of the band. We talk about that reunion. We talk about his methodology for getting it together, his feelings on it, and just a bunch of other stuff. Cause you know, frankly, both uh, curl up and die and taken exist in the sort of like, you know, reunion ecosystem, not in ways that, you know, other bands exist because both of our bands are relatively small, <laughs> all things considered. But, um, yeah, we had a real, real fun chat and I just wanted to make sure that he had the space in order to kind of express that, um, you know, in a long form way, because, you know, people will make a million assumptions about why bands get back together. So I wanted to have Mike on. So that's what we're doing next week. Okay. Have you always wanted to learn how to play a musical instrument? I have to say thank you to Musician. It is the best way to learn, practice, and master an instrument. It listens to you play and gives you feedback in real time on your accuracy and your timing. Visit musician.com slash words to try Musician with a 20% discount using the code words. I love this app so much. Here's the good news. The number of collisions involving a train at railway crossings is down 83% from its peak in the 1970s. Here's the bad news. There are still more than 2,000 incidents in a year. Like I said, please just stop when you are near the train tracks. Trains cannot, okay? Please be safe. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Hi, I'm Esther Dean. I've made my life by writing songs like Fireworks by Katy Perry, Super Bass by Nicki Minaj, What's My Name by Rihanna, just to name a few. And now I'm having an absolute blast sharing some of the knowledge that I've learned with upcoming songwriters on Songland on NBC. I'm excited to welcome you to a brand new season of Songland and Songland's podcast, giving you new insight into the magical art of songwriting as told by some of the best in the business and also the pioneers and the up-and-comers who will be shaping the hits you'll be listening to for years. We have an amazing roster of talent this season. I promise you, you don't want to miss one single episode. 
Don't miss Songland, Monday nights at 10, 9 central. And join us here on Songland's podcast, available every week after the show on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. 